Welcome to the Lions Guy Podcast, where we take on topics in performance and personal growth by exploring success stories and the lessons learned. We interview expert guests and we review books and other resources to help us all establish clarity, build courage, and lead. I'm Dale Walls, founder of Lions Guide and certified high performance coach. So on this episode, we've got David Powell, and David Powell is uh, president of Protoscore, which is a software company that provides employee productivity insights and David's got a lot of depth and, you know, we're not even getting a whole lot into tracking employees and their productivity and all that stuff. We're really going to dig into a lot of conversations that David and I have had over the years. Um, I came across him through the growth of my company and, you know, he came in and really helped accelerate our growth. But, you know, in that we had a ton of great conversations, not just in, you know, business and leadership, but, you know, how those tactics applied to, you know, a life as a high performer and our success. And I wanted to bring him on and kind of really dig into that. So uh, you'll see all David's credentials in the show notes. I encourage you to check it out and see really just why I brought him on because he, he just really has an extensive experience in high growth companies and he's been involved in multiple exits and things like that and, and, and been a part of big, you know, big business in a way. So he's really seen success from various different perspectives and, and the people that are executing against that. So uh, this is just another of many conversations he and I have had around, you know, professional, personal growth and, and, and really he's a great communicator, stuff like that. So we'll get into that. Um, if you like the sound of that, before we get started, you know, hit that subscribe button now. You don't want to miss any of our other great guests and content that we've got out there. And remember, this podcast is brought to you by Lions Guide. And if you're tuning in and getting value from the show, you know, please support the podcast by going to lionsguide.com, subscribing to our email list, become a member, or even apply for coaching, you know, with me, Dale Walls. I'm a certified high performance coach. And I really help people who are out there getting after it, but they might be stuck. They might not know what to do next, or maybe even feeling like they want to quit. And I want to get out there and serve you so that you can break through and, and really establish clarity, build courage and lead. So with that all said, let's start the show. Welcome to another episode of Lions God Podcast. And today I've got the pleasure of having someone I've learned a lot from in a short period of time that we work together, David Powell. And um, I wanted to bring David on the show today because, you know, he and I have had a ton of great conversations in the time that we've worked together, even beyond that, and just around personal growth, leadership, marketing, you know, sales, performance. And and we always had them in a way that wasn't really just about work. It was just in life. And, and uh, you know, he employs a lot of things I've learned a lot from him because it, you know, there's no one way there's, there's your way. And, and, and David's like a super polished, you know, well-educated high performer. And I, I'm not that I'm not, I'm not a big educated guy. I'm not super polished all the time. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from him and, and I wanted to have him on to kind of talk through some of this stuff, some of the things that he's doing, especially around, you know, sales networking and, and, and all that good stuff. So David, I'll let you tell us a little bit about your background, where, yeah. where you come from, all that good stuff. Yeah, I appreciate the kind words, Dale. I appreciate that a lot. And um, it was funny how most of our conversations were not, or even our business conversations, lots of time got hijacked with these types of conversations. So I'm glad we have dedicated time for it today. But yeah, so uh, live in Birmingham, Alabama, live a mile from where I grew up, married the girl I dated in high school. I've got Allison, she's awesome, got been married 25 years this year, got two kids, 22 year old son, 18 year old daughter who just graduated high school. So we've got two graduates. 
and we're gonna be empty nesters in the fall. We're kind of looking forward to that season of life. And you know, I've worked in technology my whole career, but uh, never took a technology class, never took a business class in school. I was a speech communication undergrad major. I was a public relations master's degree, uh, public relations advertising, and you know, um, it's been really interesting to kind of see how I would love to say that I had a perfect plan I've executed on that brought me from there to here, but it's really been this kind of windy windy road. And largely my career has kind of been built on this idea of I speak nerd and I speak businessman and I can translate, you know, between the two. And so an effective communicator in the tech space is a little rare. Um, But yeah, so it's been fun and it's been a fun little journey and um, look forward to talking today about, you know, some of the stuff that I've tried and maybe work for me and hopefully might work for you as you kind of think about uh, success and growing your career. Yeah, no, and I think it's funny the translator thing, and then it's because when you can talk it and bring the technology down to the listeners' level, so they can understand it and kind of build that comfort, and you know, and I think that's that's again something I really admired about you, which was you know your your effective communication skills. Like you always, that was always prioritized. Like it, it was never poor communication. It was consistent communication. Like you, you had obviously routines around that. And, and I think that's just, that's just not, a, and that's not just at the office. I mean, it's just generally, and I think that's really served you. I see you like, you've got a great network, you know, you've got contacts and, you know, so talk to a little bit about just your philosophy of communication and, yeah. and what you're doing there. Yeah. I think that, you know, one of the things they teach you in communication school is you need to communicate in a way that the other person can receive it. Right. So you could have the most awesome thing to say, but if you're using words that the other person doesn't understand or whatever, then that doesn't land. So you always need to be kind of focused on the other person when you're communicating. So what does that do? Then that really kind of ties into, you need to understand the other person. You understand who they are, what they're motivated by, you know, some of those kind of things. And you can find out a lot about people. So that allows you to use analogies to speak in a way that they understand. So if you're talking to a doctor about technology, then you want to use medical terminology. If you're talking to a factory guy about technology, you want to use um, terminology that they'll kind of understand and create analogies that they can, you know, appreciate. So I think all of that communication matters, but then also you need to use that to develop those relationships that tie into your network. So when you start a meeting, you know, you're like, so how are the kids and all this kind of stuff. Some people want to jump straight into business. And I always want to know, you know, who am I talking to? How are they wired? You know, what's going on in their world? And that allows you to have this empathy, you know, for them. Because if you're talking to somebody and they're like, hey, you know, um, Dave, and this is a true story from several years ago. First, she's like, you know, we're really kind of struggling with this infertility stuff, you know, and we're going through all of this. Well, you can have a lot more empathy for them when you understand those things or, you know, they're trying to adopt a kid or is their dad, you know, in hospice care or whatever. Um, and so the more that you understand about somebody, the more those personal connections you make, the A, it makes conversations easier, but B, it also helps that collaborative nature around work. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, to use an analogy, you're really understanding the playing field that you're on, right? Like yeah. in c- communicating. And I, and I think that's important. In fact, you know, even since we worked together, a lot of what we did, we were always into EOS and traction and all that stuff. And you see something I adopted from really implementing that was the segue. Like before the meeting start, there was always a call for a segue, which was 
settle down, relax. Let's talk about what's going good with each other. And it's not just to have to be work, uh, br- bring in some good news, start with some good news in uh, personal, professional, whatever. And yeah. I still do that to the day. Like, you know, when I prep meetings and I'm writing out the agenda, I always write up top segue, you know, and just, just, just to remind me, like, don't run right into the meat of why we're here. Yeah. Check in, you know, check in, find, find, because you may know. And, and again, it, it, it sets the stage for the conversation you're about to have, you know, and, 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 and you can operate better. And like you said, well, and more if you're empathy, whatever. you know about that day, all that's super important because like what died during everyone going remote is what you described, right? Is when we're in a real, when we're in a face-to-face meeting in a conference room, we have our meeting. And then what happens at the end? You know, the meeting ends and then what are you doing? And you're like, so what do you got going on this weekend, Dale? You're packing up your bag or grabbing your laptop. You're like, oh, we got a football game. And you have these organic conversations. What happens when you end a Zoom call? Everybody has leave meeting and that's just it, right? And so what you're talking about is super important all the time, but even more important in a hybrid remote environment, because if you don't set aside the time for it, it's not going to happen accidentally like it would in the office when you're standing in the break room, you know, both refilling your waters, having a quick conversation. Yeah, no, I th- you're right. That's a good call out. I mean, it's real important. It, it is the missing link when you go, hey, I don't feel connected to people. Like, that's it. Yeah. You're not you're, you're not afforded those opportunities, right? The meeting starts. It's 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 got a set time. You're almost not even in the meeting sometimes until it starts. And then, boom, you're right into business, you know? And yeah, leave you meeting, really learn, go to the next. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you really learn a lot. That's where you really are building those relationships. And it's, it's something that... Um, you know, I learned from you, uh, you know, I got to give credit to you on this, which was the, the whole thing you used to say about trust capital. And we talked a lot about it in the, in the manner of a business delivering client service. Like we always need to be building trust capital with that client because, you know, we're not going to get fired for the, the big thing. We're going to get fired for the little thing when we're out of trust capital, you know, because the little things are going to happen all the time. Mistakes yeah. are going to happen. So uh, tell us a little bit about that analogy and yeah. So it was this either blog or book or something. I can't even remember now. I wish I need to go back and find it. But it's become part of my talk track so much now that I can't remember where I picked it up. But it's this idea of like when you do something good, you put trust capital in your pocket, right? So you you get money in. So you, you know, did a great job in a meeting, you get some money in. You did a great job in front of a client, get a little money in, whatever. Um, but then when you make mistakes, which everyone does, you pay it out, right? So you pay out a dollar and you pay out $2 or whatever. And the article or blog or whatever talked about this idea that no one gets fired for the big mistake. People get fired for that like nickel mistake, right? So they've done something really small. They reach in their pocket to pay out the mistake and there's no money left, right? And so you'll hear people all the time kind of like, I can't believe I got terminated for this like small thing. Right. Well, it's because they had a bunch of small things over time and they ran out of trust capital or a client fires you and you're like, well, I can't believe that wasn't what we did. So we didn't get we didn't close the ticket for a day and a half. But you had a huge outage last year. Well, the huge outage last year was a five dollar mistake. You haven't done enough good stuff to weather this one little storm. And so this idea of, you know, kind of keeping track of am I doing enough right things to build up enough trust capital that I can weather the the problem, the mistake, the screw up that is always, 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 always going to come, you know, whether it's personal relationships, whether it's business relationships, you're going to screw something up. So you need to make sure you're doing all the right things over here to build up enough trust capital that you've got it to spend when you have that inevitable screw up. 
Yeah, and I I love that, uh, especially in the service of clients. I I really loved that moment when we're talking about a project or whatever. It, it's a sales conversation, and you're talking about a client about they've got to spend some money, they got to do this, whatever. And I loved, I absolutely loved that feeling when the client goes and looks at me dead in the eye and goes, "Deal, if you say I need it, then I need it. How fast can we get it in here?" And I, I loved that response because they trusted me impeccably. I had, I had, you know, they knew I wasn't trying to oversell them. They knew I was doing something in their best interest. And that's it. That, that was that trust yep. capital invested into that relationship with that client, that decision maker. And, and that is everywhere. So that's, um, I would say even as a leader or as an influencer and let's just dumb it down out of the office, like with your family or people in your life, you know, if, if, but let's start with the office, right? Trust capital, you got employee, they're not doing well, right? How do we use trust capital as a leader to, to... Yeah, I think when they know you care about them, it makes the hard conversations easier, right? So if you really don't care, if you genuinely care about people and get to know them, it makes it paves the way for hard conversations that are always to come, right? So, you know, if you and I have built relationship with one another and I have that relational capital with you, and you're not showing up to work on time, then I can sit down with you and like, yo, Dale, I really need you to get here at eight if you can. You know, that's when our work day starts. It's super important for you to be on the desk, whatever. And that's a different conversation than, you know, I don't know you, I don't know who you are, but you need to be here at eight o'clock. And you're kind of like, oh, who's this guy? You know, so if hard conversations occur better, like in relationship. And, and also too, what I think is funny is there's this trust capital, like multiplier, if you will, of vulnerability. Right. If I say, hey, sorry, I screwed that up, my five dollar mistake might get discounted into like a dollar mistake, you know, because you're admitting it and, you know, that builds vulnerability and trust. So all those things kind of work together to kind of think, though, about am I in a good relationship with this person? Then I can have the hard conversation. And if I admit that I screwed up with a customer or an employee or your family, you know, that that kind of gives you a discount rate, if you will, on the amount of trust capital you have to pay out. <laughs> yeah, I love that. The, um, but yeah, you're right. Like as a leader, you know, being engaged with your team, right? So that when you see these issues, you can go approach them and you've established the same trust capital with your folk, with your your staff, your teammate, whatever it is. They trust you so that when you come there and you're like, hey, Johnny, you know, I know she's been coming in late. What's going on? And they admit that, hey, man, I'm making mistakes. I'm not sleeping well or whatever. And you kind of can you can empathize with it, but you can go, hey, I need you here on time. You know, and yeah. with that trust capital, they're going man, you know, if if, if Dale's telling me I got to be here on time, like, you know, I, I got to square away like he, like they trust you as opposed to not investing that trust capital in that relationship and having a zero balance as even as a leader and going to that same guy going, Johnny, I need you to get here on time. And he's like, screw you. You know, I don't, yeah, you know, it, right. it, 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 there's just not that, like I say, and, and we'll keep with it out. It's just not that investment there, you know, and, and, and it's, it, then it gets emotional and stuff like that. And that's, that's yep. even like, you've got a great family, uh, which we'll talk about, but like, that's the same with your wife, your kids, your neighbor, right? Like if you don't have that trust capital established, you really have a hard time influencing them. Yeah. Because it, then the only thing left is transactional, right? So if you don't have that relational trust capital, then it's purely transactional. And then everything's give to get, give to get, give to get. And people don't like transactional you know, relationships. And you can see those transactional relationships just like, like the person who cuts your hair, you have a relationship with them, right? They know when you're going on vacation and all this kind of stuff. Like your plumber, that's purely transactional. 
right? So uh, if you got a if you got a bad haircut one day, you could probably weather that storm and go back and give them another chance. But if you have a bad experience with a plumber, you're never calling them again. You're just going to call a different plumber, right? So real, transactional stuff doesn't give gives you you know, it, you better be awesome every single time. And we all know you can't be awesome every single time. So the relational capital gives you latitude to screw up, um, but also own it. And then, you know, look for ways relationally to move forward. Yeah, look, I love the concept. And I don't think you've ever said that to me, which was the concept of owning it, owning the mistake to preserve the capital of that mistake, you know, the severity yeah. of it. And I, that's awesome. I mean, it, it's, yes, it, it does. It preserves that, right? And like, you know, you go and say, hey, yeah, listen, I want to let you know I screwed this. Like, so you're beating them to the punch. Like, hey, man, I, I just want to let you know I screwed this up. That's another big ding, right? You didn't wait for them to come to you and go, hey, what's going on? Yeah. And then you own it. You almost go straight about it. Like those things, I love that. You're like preserving it. If you have it. a frustrated client, I love going in and saying, hey, Dale, there are reasons and there are excuses. I'm not here to give you any excuses, but I am here to tell you how we got here and why we screwed this up and what we're going to do to try to prevent it from happening again. Right. So we did screw it up. This is not an excuse, but let me explain to you what happened. You know, this guy fat fingered a password and da, 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 whatever. So I think, you know, no one wants excuses, but I think sometimes reasons are appropriate and help build that trust because you're showing here's what we screwed up and then here's what we're going to do to address it. Yeah. And look, you, you talked about the plumber and I was just kind of thinking like, you know, one of the things I, I do want to encourage anyone like get to know the plumber, right? Because like, check, check this out. Like you have these shallow transactional relationships. He's just a plumber. But if you get to know the guys there, Hey, where do you live? And you got any kids? What are you doing? How did you get doing this? Like, and you learn and you're building that trust capital that day where your toilet's overflowing and they've got a full log. Yeah. And you've got that guy's cell phone go, Hey man, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm Dale. I'm the, the white house, uh, you know, outside Centerville, whatever, man, my, you guys are jammed up, I know, but I've got, is there anything you can do? Like you're cashing in on some trust capital there as opposed yeah. to like, you know, that there's just that shallow stuff, transactional stuff that, that, you know, so there's so many opportunities like in networking and, and communication to get to know people. And I guess that's a, that's a good point. Like how do you, I know you really have a great network and how do you build your network? I mean, you've got depth there, you know, and what's, what's yeah. some things around that? Uh, it's genuine friendships, right? You can't be transactional in your friendships either. You know that guy, anytime he calls you, you're kind of like, oh, he's going about to want to borrow my truck or want to, I don't have a truck, you have a truck, you want to borrow your truck. But you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff or they want to borrow something, your drill, whatever. And there's other friends when they call and they're not always call when they need something. And so you can build that relationship there. Um, so I've always felt like if you kind of pay that forward, if you're looking to help people, looking to invest in relationships, then they never really get transactional and that does build your network over time. So it has to start with this genuine, I want what's best for Dale. If I really do want what's best for Dale, Dale will sense that and we will have a strong relationship that'll persist, you know, for years. And so just last week, I got a call from a guy that I worked with like three jobs ago and he was looking for somebody to talk to in this particular space. And I was able to connect him up with somebody and my friend on the other side, I connected him up with, he like texted me. He's like, Hey, happy to talk to your buddy is there something I need to know? I'm like, nope, just he's looking for information. You've got it. And you're both good guys. And he's like, oh, super. And so then they'll get along. Just yesterday, I was talking to a friend of mine up in Nashville and I introduced him to another one of my friends up in Nashville. And 
they were going to get like coffee together. And I'm like, crap, y'all hang out more than I get to hang out with y'all. But, you know, I genuinely wanted those two people to meet one another. So it's really this investment without expectation of return, you know, but the funny thing is, is when you do that, there always is return, right? Is that if you expect return, now you've made it transactional. But if you're just investing in these relationships, there is always return on the back end. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and I think it's a good opportunity to talk about like, so how do you meet the new people? You know, what's some ways that you kind of break the ground, you know, and in, in, in establishing that trust capital? Yeah, it's uh, asking about them. Everyone's favorite topic is themselves. And that's this idea of like being genuinely curious is I genuinely am curious. And I love talking to people and like stuff that I don't have any exposure to. Like a friend of mine, he had a big old family farm. And I was always asking him questions about the family farm. You know, um, I asked you a bunch of questions about 29 Palms and being in the Marines, you know, and I mean, I'm just interested in stuff that I didn't experience. It's one of the reasons I like to read is it gives you the ability to kind of get in someone else's story. But so I really do like to, you know, ask people that stuff. And so I tell sales teams all the time that I've led is, you know, ask for the factory tour, even if they don't have a factory. Right. So at the end of this meeting, you know, if I'm talking to a prospect, it's like, hey, Dale, can you show me around your office? Or if you have a factory, show me your factory. And then you not only do you learn more because they're going to talk more openly about it. There's this thing that behavioral psychology will tell you is that shoulder to shoulder has better conversations than face to face. Is that lots of people aren't comfortable making persistent eye contact and locking in to you. So what they'll tell you is like if there's a four top table that you should sit on the side and they sit on this end instead of like across from one another if it's just two people at lunch. So if you're walking around the office with them shoulder to shoulder, they don't feel like you're trying to like probe them in the sales cycle. At this point, you're just having a conversation. I'll say this from a parenting standpoint is you'll find as your kids get older, Dale, that the best conversation with your kids occur when they're in the passenger seat and you're driving them somewhere is that they're looking, they're looking straight ahead. You're looking straight ahead. So they don't have to maintain eye contact and see a shocking dad, or is he mad or is whatever. And he can ask, you know, Hey, how come this girl won't talk to me? Or how come this friend was mean to me? Or how come this teacher doesn't seem to like me? Or how come I don't get to start on the football team or whatever. And you have much more real conversation side to side than you have like face to face sometimes. So the show me around your office factory tour is a great way to, build that relational capital outside of the sales call type of meeting. Yeah, no, that's all. And, and it's like, it, it, you know, I guess I can see it as you're saying that, like the shoulder and shoulder is kind of like you're in this together type of stuff. Like even I could, I, as you're saying, I was imagining they're sitting at the table with my son, like going through a challenge he might have, but instead of him sitting across, even sitting next to me at the dinner table, just kind of with the piece of paper, kind of going through it together, whatever it might be. You know what I mean? I like, yeah. guess even that, I think it would feel like I'm here with you, right? Not I'm here lecturing you, you know, right. so, so to speak. It changes the relational dynamics, right? Is when you're across from one another, it's hard just not to perceive adversarial or for you to misread body language, right? So if you and I were sitting in a restaurant and a bunch of people are coming in the door and you're talking to me and I'm kind of like distracted by these people walking in the door behind you or whatever, you might be thinking, well, David's not interested in what I'm talking about. So I need to wrap this up or whatever. So when you're side by side like that, you're, you're not forced to lock that, maintain that eye contact. So it just makes everyone a little more natural. Yeah, I think that's that's awesome. The and I think with with breaking ground, you know, with new folks uh, back in the day, you know, pre 
you know, internets, everything. Um, and we actually had players to play CDs <laughs> with <Yeah>. things. <laughs> oh, I think I was riding around with those like cassette tapes that you slide in your cassette thing that go, that hooks to your oh, yeah. player. Remember that? Yeah. You'd be driving the around. The that came out. You yeah. To your it's, it's skipping. You're like, yeah. <laughs> you're driving around, you hit a bump and the damn CD skips. Yeah, and, that's you right. Know. But um, I used to listen to, I bought this program years ago was a verbal advantage and um and it was a it was like a vocabulary thing it was something that, it had a bunch of big names on it like it, it just literally goes through and teaches you words and i was listening to that driving around commuting and things and um but there was one um it, it was uh something around conversations or whatever um and a lesson i learned there was you know what 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 the lady called and i forgive me i forget her name i know it was verbal advantage but she called it communication right so you're to your point like people love to talk about themselves um the way she put that very ideal and i think it was really powerful is you know she said she's one said hey remember it's communication y-o-u it's about you it's not about me and keep it in that frame and and be like you said infinitely curious and and ask them questions and whatever and and that's and they love you for it right you're you're sitting there you're making it all about them and even she called this out on the the cd which was like you know that they're gonna have you and i are having a conversation i'm all about you where are you from where tell me about your kids what do you do and you, you spend 25 minutes to an hour and I'm giving you a stage to perform. And you'll walk away and you'll go up to your buddy. I just met that Dale guy. He is awesome. I didn't say anything. Like That's I didn't correct. tell you anything. What do you know you about Dale? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, you don't know crap <laughs> about me, but you know I'm awesome. And, yeah. and she and, and, and she called that out. And it's very true. Um, yeah, I've, I've experienced that, especially if I learned it. Like people love, you know, they everyone wants a cheerleader. Everyone wants to tell their story and they're hungry to do so. And, um, you know. And that was something that another thing just for those out there, like that same instructional talked about, like the killer compliment. So the, to break ice with folks, you kind of go in and go, hey, you know, walk up to someone and go, I love your shoes or what I prefer is to really make it more of a matter of fact. You go like your hair is awesome, right? Not I like your hair. You don't know me for David. Like you don't know who I am. So what does it matter what I think of your hair? But if you go up to him and go, man, your hair is awesome or that's an awesome bag that you got there or whatever. Um, and and that is even more powerful where you're coming in, you're hitting them with what the lady called a killer compliment. And it's like, Oh, wow, thank you. And, and, you know, now you broke the ice. And so where, where are you from? You know, what are you doing here? Or if you're, you know, you really get to, you get them engaged right away. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, I, and, and then you can pivot that into asking them genuine questions, you know, about themselves. And I think it's interesting, you know, being in the community here is that I think people draw certain conclusions around, oh, well, you know, Dale's really successful or Dave is successful or whatever. And so they immediately kind of in a, incorrectly draw conclusions from assumptions. They think they know certain things about you. So I always try real hard to be like, you know, destroy whatever preconceived notions they may have like out of the gate. If you're super kind and you're interested in them, not just there to talk about yourself, all that kind of stuff. Then they're, oh, well, I, I thought this guy was going to be, you know, a country club snotty guy or whatever. And then you find out that he's, that they're not, you know. And so I, I the the willingness to just go up and talk to somebody. I like the opening with the compliment or, you know, which one of those kids is your kid? Tell me about them, you know, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think really just breaks down barriers and starts that relationship building. 
Yeah, and and I think that's something I've heard you say before too around just the humility of receiving it properly, right? Like, you know, someone gives you a compliment, you know, and, and I think you referred it to like the hard work it takes to be successful, right? And yeah. someone goes, and you're successful. They give you some compliment. You're super successful. Congratulations or whatever. And if your response is, ah, it was nothing, you know, or just to keep it back, dumb it down, right? Someone comes to you, man, I, I love your shoes. Your shoes are awesome. And you go, man, I hate these things, right? You just, yeah. you chop that. Up. <laughs> I mean, they are done. That conversation's over. Like you just, you just, you killed the killer compliment. You, you put a bullet between their eyes when they're trying to open up, open something up for you. Man, that is super, I think that's super important to me is that it is okay to talk about your success in the right context, right? So I know you're into fitness, right? And you're super fit. Well, you work really hard to be physically fit, right? And if somebody was like, oh, Dale, I mean, you're super fit. And you're like, ah, you know, good genes, you know, or whatever. That's not true right? You're lying to them, right? What it really is, is like, well, I watch what I eat and I get up at four every morning and I do this thing and I run and I have a Peloton and I go to jujitsu, whatever it is, right? All those things is how you get there. And I, it used to make me crazy with my lovely wife early when our, you know, when our kids were younger and people like, man, you've, you've raised some great kids. And she's like, oh, well, you haven't been around to when they mm I'm like, stop, do not, don't go there, right? Instead, what did we do? Well, we, we, you know, she sacrificed hanging out with friends that we could manage nap time. You know, we always had regular bedtime. We sat down and ate dinner as a family every night. You know, there was a lot of hard work that went into raising like good kids. And so talk about that. Say, well, you know, we, we did we put a lot of effort into, you know, having them act this way. And that's OK. Right. And so if people are like, oh, well, Dale, you just started Corsica. Well, you know, the clouds didn't part. And some laser beam come down and poof, Corsica was a whole business, right? It's like you worked your butt off to, to build Corsica up. And so I think it's okay to talk about those things because that makes it less magical and more real, right? They too can do that if they want to. What did you really do? You took risk, right? And so they can take risk and it might not always work out, but you know, it's not, you didn't magically get physically fit. We didn't magically have good kids. We didn't magically build businesses, you know, there was a lot of hard work and striving that goes into that. And I think it's okay to talk about those things because the more magical it seems, the bigger the gap between kind of the successful person and the non-successful person. Instead, it's like, no, man, I just did the things that yield these results. Hi, everyone. Dale here. I want to take a quick break to invite you to join us at lionsguide.com. Have you ever struggled to show up as your best when you really needed to most? Have you ever stared at your week and you just wondered, how the heck am I going to fit all this in? Or worse, have you come to the end of your week and asked, how come you didn't get done what you wanted to? Or maybe have you ever struggled to gain influence at work or home? Or have you felt as if you are a productive person, but you really don't know where you're going or what you want? So the distractions of social media or maybe Netflix take over your day. If any of that sounds like you, I want you to know that you're not alone and invite you to visit us online at lionsguide.com and subscribe to the Lions Guide newsletter or maybe even download some of our free guides to help you on your journey. The time is now to transition to the next level in your performance and personal growth and have some joy in life. Visit lionsguide.com and subscribe today. You owe it to yourself and those most important to you to be the best version of you. Don't lose any more time. Subscribe today. I can't wait to see who you're going to become. And now back to the show. Yeah, I think that's really powerful, right? Like, because you want to, 
you want to be relatable, right? Because there's really a big opportunity when you have success to influence other people, right? You can say, yeah, I got there, but I'm going to tell you, it it took a lot of work, but I I tell people, I say, I didn't do anything that anyone else couldn't do, can't do, can't get started doing. I don't think I'm special. I think I've been fortunate enough to make a lot of great decisions along the way, and I made mistakes, and and I've 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 had to adapt and overcome and adjust. Like you said, the windy road. Like there is no clear path to where you want to go. You need to know where you want to go. But I tell people, like, yeah, but but the more of my story, I try to tell people, like, no one gave me anything. But at the same time, and I didn't, I can't, I'm not doing anything that you can't do, and I'm just. I've I've worked hard, like you said. I've ma- I've been fortunate enough to make the right decisions. I've been even more fortunate not to be punished by the wrong decisions more severely yeah. than I did. You know, I I really despise this. I mean, there's some dude on LinkedIn. He wrote this big thing, and it was an article. Maybe it was a like a land grab of attention, but it was like my company. I just got lucky, and it was to this point, right? I I was like. I steamed a little bit because I wanted to go like, here we go. I'm no, hell no. And, I, and I, I've been really good about that. I don't do that at all anymore. But I, it was one that triggered me. And I was like, this is, that's, that's bullshit. Like you didn't get lucky, you know? And that's where, and when I, I was kind of reflecting myself, I said, you know, the only place I got lucky is that I didn't get punished worse on the mistakes I made. That's the only bit, right? That's it. The rest of it, it took work. It took making mistakes and learning or whatever. And sure, I could have. Yeah. I could have been punished more harshly for things or whatever. Um, but, but at the end of the day, it, it takes work, but it, it's work anyone can do, you know? I mean, yeah. And to pivot off of that into parenting a little bit, Dale is like, I've become more aware, I guess that your kids only see finished product. You, right. They see Dale with a nice truck and a pool in the backyard and, you know, had built a business. They didn't see, Dale, they didn't know his butt from the hole in the ground trying to get Corsica off the ground and, you know, didn't know what a profit and loss statement was or anything, you know, all those things that you had to learn. Similarly, for me, you know, my dad, he was he was a dentist, not a businessman. I never took a business class. I had to learn all this stuff separately. And then my dad and I were in a football game one time and we're riding around in the rental car and he starts talking about how early when he was a dentist, he was like borrowing other dentist offices after five, seeing patients that couldn't, you know, back in the day, people couldn't take off in the middle of the day to go to the dentist. So they would come from five to nine at night. And so he was in like a different dental office every night, almost seeing patients building his practice. Well, I didn't know that. All I ever saw was nice house, pretty successful dentist dad, right? I never saw like the striving dad. And so I think we do a disservice both to our kids and then anyone else that we're interacting with if we don't kind of talk about, you know, no, we worked hard, you took risk, you failed, you did things differently, you learned from other people, and that's how you got here. Otherwise, your kids, your friends just think they'll just magically, you know, ended up in this place. And there's, you know, is luck involved? Tiny amount, but primarily it's keeping going, you know, stuff sucks, go forward anyway, all that kind of stuff is really what makes it all work. You hear that from a lot of high performers, right? Especially in sports or music or whatever. And it's like they all of a sudden they burst on a scene out of nowhere. And and you got to have that feeling. You're like, man, this guy just magically appeared with all this success. And all of them tell the same story. Like you're not looking at the last 10 plus years that I've been grinding it out on the court, you know, before and after practice and games. And like, you didn't see the last 10 years and and I and it's a great call out. It's something that I've I've been really intentional about in my household today because there is a story to tell. And I think your kids need to hear the story 
And how I've written it to myself and now present it to my, my family unit as a whole was to go, look, we've got a lot of nice things. We, we were pretty comfortable, but it took a lot of work to get here and we're not done yet. Like we didn't. And, and what I told him explicitly the day I kind of started these conversations with my family is like, we didn't come this far to only come this far, right? You need to know what it took to get here. And, and I want to see you keep climbing. I'm going to hit a point. I want to, I want to give you everything I've got so that you can keep climbing farther than where I'm from. And, and that's, that's a bit of me. Like I did that too. Like my parents didn't go to college and, 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 but they, they grew into the middle class. And then I took that and kept climbing, right? I want my kids and I want my family to keep climbing. Don't just take this for granted. It can be all gone tomorrow for a plethora of reasons, but we got to keep climbing. And it's just like, and, and, and I think to your point, I think that the power statement there is that if they know the story, they know what it took. They can resonate with it. They'll appreciate this stuff more. They'll know what it takes when they want something bigger. You know, it's yeah. Well, that's not second generation businesses typically fail, right. right? Is that those people never had to strive. They didn't know what it took to build. They just inherited, right? So it's this idea of like create versus inher- versus inherit, right? Are you a creator or are you an inheritor? And you know, you want your kids to still be creators, even though there's you know, knowledge and whatever they may be inheriting, but you still want them to have that creative, you know, I'm going to go build something mindset instead of here's this thing that's already functional. Don't screw it up, which rarely works. <laughs> right. <laughs> so talk to me. So you've been married for, for 25 years. Yeah. What's the secret, man? You know, <laughs> what's the secret? Everyone wants a secret. Uh, man, I wish there was a secret. Um, no, you know, I think there's a couple kind of theories on this and you guys are like us, you and Jody, where it's like you can either grow up and then get married. So you're a mature, fully functioning human being before you mate with a fully functioning human being on the other side, or you can get married and grow up together, right? That's really us is that we got married and kind of grew up together. And um, so, you know, there's a lot of, messiness in that, but it's also, it's been, you know, it's been fun. And, um, you know, for me, it's always, you know, work will always be like third, really it's, you know, faith, family work. And so, and then inside the family part, it's always going to be Allison and then the kids. It's like, uh, I always tell the story where a buddy of mine, his dad was this mild mannered accountant. And my buddy in high school thought that he was like the baller baseball player and all this kind of stuff. And he's in the kitchen and he like back talked his mom. And his dad like grabs him by the shirt and like shoves him against the refrigerator and says, you know, I made you, I chose her. (laughs) Right. And so my friend's like, Oh, okay. He goes, don't you ever talk to my wife like that again? And so, but there is that sense, right. Is that you chose Jody, right. And I chose Allison. And so there was, there is this, you know, thing there that we wanted to have with one another. We we've made our kids and we love our children, but at the core, you know, I'm at that stage, right? They're about to both be here less. And so now if you've not done the things you need to to invest in your spouse or relationship, when your kids graduate, then you kind of turn around like, who's this person? I never wanted to be there. And so you hear a lot of people at kind of this stage of their life where their marriages kind of blow up. And it's because they began to kind of run these parallel tracks with their roommates. And the roommates had joint custody of these children and, you know, they had to like care for the kids, but they weren't doing anything, you know, relationally there. So Alice and I, we still go on dates, just us. I think a lot of couples go out with other couples all the time, which is great. But if we did that, 
Jody and Allison would talk about stuff and you and I would talk about stuff. And then we'd go back home and be like, oh, that was a great, that was a great thing. And you didn't talk to Jody and I didn't talk to Allison like the whole, you know, night. So we go, we go to dinner just us and then we've taken a trip every year. And some years and we didn't have any money. And we went to like, we went to Tuscaloosa, which is 50 miles from here and stayed in like the Holiday Inn Express, you know, and, but we went somewhere every year without the kids um, for all 25 years. So those, I, those are the only kind of secrets I guess I have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I guess it's a good segue into books, but I, I'll kind of bring that up, right? Like there's a lot of, um, what's it? Five love languages. I think it's a great book out there that really speaks to this, like finding. She's probably around. <laughs> Aren't they all? Like Jody's called them too. But um, but but yeah, we do that, and and I think like we really um, you know, Jordan Peterson stuff. Uh, just finished his book uh, Beyond Order and uh, Chapter Eight. For those of you guys have have it in hand, really digs into this stuff about like your partner and and partnering with someone who sides with your potential, and because. They're hitched, you're hitched to each other's wagons, right? You've got no choice but to be the best version of yourself for that other person. And, and you want that other person holding you accountable to your potential, right? And in a real partnership. And and he even talked about uh to I guess the part of you and I's success formula in marriage is like getting married earlier, right? So you do grow together and you grew do grow to your potential together because it's in a way, and I can never articulate. Jordan Peterson, he's, he's in his own level with his intellect, but, um, you know, but really it was just like, because by the time you're later in age, it's hard to uproot those, those really bad habits and things like that. So he talked a lot about, you know, getting, getting married early and, and growing together because you're not going to, you're never going to find that perfect person that checks all those boxes. And I'm not saying being reckless about this, don't get me wrong, but you know, people like for a, a lot of things, important things in life, they're always looking for this perfect time, perfect person, person, perfect thing. And it, it's never coming. Well, you know, two things on that, Dale. One, we talked about them recognizing your potential and that kind of stuff is that, you know, I've had four jobs in less 12 months, right? I went from Corsica to Perch and then Perch, we went to raise our Series B round. We got acquired by ConnectWise. So then I was at ConnectWise for a little while then and got recruited out somewhere else. Allison's dad had the same job for 43 years, right? So for her to be willing to accept this kind of like constant job changing stuff is like, she's, you know, awesome, you know, for that. And the um, other thing, the second point is what you were saying is I think super interesting is that I've got a friend who's from um, the Indian culture and we were talking about arranged marriages and like their divorce rate is lower than the American divorce rate. Right. So arranged marriage divorce rate. And why is because you're not marrying for this fleeting sense of like, oh, love and all this stuff, right? You're making a conscious choice. I'm going to make this work. And I think that that is something that is a constant reminder here is that you're making a conscious choice to like make this work and to forgive when they screw up and hopefully they forgive you and you screw up and all those things. But if you only marry for all the checking all the boxes, you know, that can become, you know, fleeting. So this idea that, you know, consciously you're deciding to do the hard work to get the results. So really no different than exercise or anything else, you know, is that, you know, if you do the right things, the results will be there. And so making that conscious choice on the reg is super important, I think, in the relationship. It's, it's properly valuing the commitment, right? Yeah. It's properly valuing the commitment you're making, you know, before God, whatever you want to call it, but you're making a commitment in, and that means you, you're committed to doing what's necessary to ensure that commitment is successful. And that means working with each other, partnering with one another. And, um, 
and and and, and being real partnered. I, I like I, I have, and I get this sense of you and Allison. Like I don't have command over Jody. Like you know, we're we're partners. We're, it, it takes a king and a queen to rule the kingdom. Let's say like it, it's not the king and she's my servant, right? It's it's this yeah. mindset. And um, you know, it came up in conversation amongst friends the other day, kind of a group text, and and um just being funny or whatever. And, 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 but I, but I did kind of step up the thing. I was like, I, can't, I really can't stand, you know, when there's these guys out there that treat their wives, like they belong to them. Like they're, they're their property. They're, they're there to serve. I'm and screw that guy. Like, I don't, I don't believe in that. I, I, I whatever you, you guys can do what you want. I can tell you what 21 years of successful marriage has been to me is a partnership period. And uh, that's how we've come to grow together because she's not, you know, uh, like I'm not a dictator to her. And and as a result, we influence each other. We push each other. Yeah. It's, you know, and, and she sighs. She sighs yeah, you want both parties to feel like they're lucky, you know, is that if you ask me, I could not do better, you know, period. I don't kick my coverage. And you kind of want her to think, well, no, similarly, right? Is you almost want this sense where both of you almost feel like non-deserving because then that keeps the relationship equal on the plane, right? Where if you feel like, oh, I've got all this and that she's supposed to subservient, subservient to me or vice versa, oh, he ought to just be lucky to be in the same house as me. It gets the relational dynamics all kind of screwed up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's something that just... <laughs> I, I don't respect it. I, I just don't. I, and I, and I see the challenges that brings and, and, and again, we need to be siding, like I said, siding with each other's potential, like seeing the potential there yeah. and side with that. Don't allow them to sit on a couch all day or, or, or do bad yeah. things for themselves. And, and that's where the trust capital comes in and you can have those conversations and, and push one another and, and, and operate in a that's joy. Like that's where you're living in congruence with your partner, your, your life, you're, and you're growing together. I think it's, it's really powerful. Um, yeah, we, we, you talked about the books a little bit. What, what are some books that you find yourself recommending to folks and like that, that have really, uh, really served you brought some great insights. I know you, I, what I really appreciate from you and, and, and Matt Bagley out there as well, like you guys brought a whole, a whole lot of arsenal to my library, you know, I was already a big reader, but you guys were throwing something. I never heard of that. Never heard of that. So yeah, I mean, you know me, I read a little for, I read for escape and I read for knowledge, right? So I know you read a lot for knowledge. Um, so I think there's several books that I recommend, like on the fiction side that are all just kind of fun reads. But on the on the other side, the couple that I've read that stuck out to me in the last year is one is called Range by um, David Epstein. And it really talks about this idea of you want to be good at a broad swath of things, right? And I think this last year, with COVID has really exposed the limitations of expertise, right? If you only know about this one little piece and are super deep in that, then it allows you to screw other stuff up, right? Because you making decisions around this. I mean, I'll just go on and say it. I mean, making decisions to try to not have schools open because you're only focused on the medical you know, thing that's wrong. Right. And you need somebody that can have the full view of, okay, what, what's the, if we do this thing, what are all the potential outcomes, you know, that could occur, but our culture is geared towards expert, 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 get narrow and narrow and narrower instead of like, no, 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 no. You need to be competent across a broad field of things. You know, when you run a business, you've got to be competent across a broad, you know, field of things. You need to know a little about sales, a little about product, a little about marketing, a little about customer service, a little bit of accounting, all that kind of stuff. And so you want that. So I love the book Range. Uh, the new Simon Sinek book from last year, The Infinite Game, 
is really good. And it talks about the long play around stuff and how too many people play like the short game. And the short game is like immediate wins now, as opposed to really kind of what you and I are talking about earlier around relationships is that if you long play relationships, you never know where they might end up. You never know where they might go. But if you view everything as a win and a loss today, then there's a winner and a loser. That's short-term winning. Too many companies run on that short-term, I got to win today and I got to make you a loser today. Whereas these like having that long-term view of like, you know, we want the company to be successful way out here. I want to be successful as an individual way out here. I want my kids to be successful as individuals, you know, way out here. So those are two that kind of jump out to me as um, good ones from the past year that I've read. I love that. I mean, I, I and especially with the range, um, I, I personally hadn't heard of that before, but it, it's something that I feel like you, you do want to know enough. Like, you know, you're a great analogy guy, but like going to a mechanic, right? If you don't know anything about how a car works, you're really at that mechanic's mercy and you don't even know if he's a good mechanic or not. Right. And that's where we kind of get referrals and recommendations and stuff. But say you don't have all that and you're talking to a mechanic and you know, zippy, I'm not saying you need to be a mechanic, but you need to know enough to have an intelligent conversation and lead to the outcome that you want and be able to understand the good, bad, and in between of how this person might serve you, right? Like, so knowing enough, you, know, you don't need to be an expert of things, but you need to be inquisitive. Um, like you said earlier, you know, infinitely curious, curious about things. So you can, especially when the, not knowing is, can be pretty impactful, you know, and, and, yeah. and so you can help lead people to your outcome. So I, I, I do really like that. It's something that I think you like, you, you want to be conscious of in your dealings, just in all things, know enough, like, don't, don't, don't give yourself that pass, right? You're like you're working with yeah. a mechanic, you're working with that plumber that we talked about earlier. Ask him, like, hey, man, how's that thing work? You know, but you so know, you might our, tell education, you. our educational system, Dale, is set up to make experts, right? Mm-hmm. And but I think the real winners at life are the people who have the broad view of yeah. things, right? Yeah. And so it's funny how you used to just take in college general kind of classes. Now they want to know what's your, what do you want to do? Oh, well, that means this needs to be your major. And then all your classes are in this like narrow little window the whole four years. That doesn't help anybody. Right. You know, you need to have this like broad range, hence the name of the book. So yeah, that's a, that's a good one um, for me. And then, yeah. And then I've gotten really kind of hooked on long form articles too. I love reading long articles because you can get a whole bunch of different, to the thing about range, you can skim a whole bunch of different topics you know, so I'll pick up, I'll go to long reads, which is a website and they have these yeah. long reads. And what I really love is at the end of every year, they do their best long reads from the year by category. So it'll be like mystery and crime or technology or whatever. And so I'll go and, you know, pump some of those out. And what I'll really do is I'll print them to PDF and then I'll email them to myself and then I'll put them in a folder on my iPad. And then when I'm on a plane, instead of, you know, watching some, 20 minutes of a movie or something like that, I'll read these long form articles. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, something that we've talked about in the past too, when it comes to reading, you know, I guess maybe this will relate to the tech field a little bit, but, uh, you know, you, you never, you come across these texts, you know, where you, there's a lot of certifications right out there in the IT field and stuff like that. And I, 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 I ran through them all, you know, especially when I was required to be super technical, um, and got certifications and you'll come across that guy because I don't read, I already I already know everything. OJT, I've been doing this 20 years, whatever. And, you know, I, you know, it's really about the exposure, right? Um, You know, you, you're exposing yourself to new perspective, new ideas. And and the way I used to answer that before 
uh, and something to think about for all you non-readers out there, like, I don't need to read, you know, whatever. You know, what it does and why I answered that in the past is that, yes, you've done, you know what you know, because that's only what you've been exposed to, right? But I knew when I read that that Microsoft exam book, yes, I, I did this. I did it all day. I was managing at the time when I was doing that hard, a 7,500 user network. I Yeah, I was exposed to a lot, but I was still learning something. I was hitting those chapters about a piece of technology or feature set that I had never used before, right? And that was what I was getting out of it. The rest of it, yeah, it was easy, but I was getting this exposure. And as yeah. a result, I was bringing that exposure back. So, you know, I, I think I think just the power of reading helps expose you to those other ideas. And I, I know that's a big part of your game too. Yeah, and I struggle with like schools because I think they suck the joy of reading out. You know, is that one of the things when I was on the board of education is I wanted to keep pushing. It's like, there have been great books written since the 18th century, right? Let's let our students read some of those books instead of having to just go read all like the classics. And um, I want, I want our students and my kids, my kids to have like a, a love of reading and a love of learning. You know, this idea that the world is going to change and change super fast. The least amount of pace of change you're ever going to have is today. Tomorrow, the pace of change will be a little, more for the rest of your life, the least amount of pace of change is today. So how do you adapt and how do you learn and how do you learn new stuff and reading and engaging with other people who do know that space? I mean, those are the ways to continue to learn. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, it's so there for you. I mean, geez, technology, it's double-edged sword, man. It, it, it uh, expedites a lot of things and, and the goods and the bads, but if, if yeah. it's done, nothing else for sure, man, like, that knowledge, you know, that, that continual learning, man, it is everywhere. It's like it, there was a time, the only way you were learning something new was in the classroom or at the library, right. Or the newspaper, <laughs> like today, man, it's on your phone. It's audiobooks. It's like you said, like you got all these long form articles that are published a thousand times a day, like in your own wow. networking space, you know, it's just right. Great there content you. being created all the time. You just got to get access to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so with that said, um, real quick, I know you got to go, um, but give us a little plug about what you're doing now, um, the company you're with. What's yeah. your... It's super interesting, Dale. Um, I get recruited by this company to come over called ProtoScore, and we are at a really unique kind of moment in time. So there is no playbook for how do you return to work after a pandemic, right? I mean, who's, who's ever figured that out? And there was this fallacy that before the pandemic, People knew that their people were working, you know, is that, oh, I saw Dale got in at eight. He left at five. He must have been working. You know, what they didn't see is that he was in the break room talking about youth football the whole time, whatever. So there was this fallacy that we knew who was working before. Then during the pandemic, everyone gets sent home and it was just like, make it happen. There was no plan, right? Everyone just kind of like made it happen. And then now everyone's coming back to looking to return to work, but they're not going to do that without a plan. Right. So you got to have a plan to come back to the office. So what you end up with are these kind of like competing ideas is that the employees want flexibility. I want to work from wherever employers demand accountability. Well, I can't just keep paying all these people and not know if they're working or not. So the only way to really get there is with visibility, which is what ProtoScore does. So we can take we tie into the back end API of like Office 365, Gmail, Salesforce, ConnectWise, Bullhorn, all these different applications that we run it through um, machine learning and artificial intelligence and come with a productivity score by employee. So 
every day you can get a productivity score and we can show you who's working, who's not. You can even go to like a ticker tape and you can see Dale Walls and you can see when he sent an email, when he was on a phone call, when he was in a meeting, when he was slacking somebody, all that stuff wow. laid out ticker tape. So you have that kind of level of accountability. Our data with these back end data science guys look at it and 10% of any workforce scores a 40 or lower. Okay, so what does that mean? Is that a 40 or lower in our productivity score means they're doing one hour and 35 minutes of trackable work a day. 10% of any business has employees that are doing one hour and 35 minutes of trackable work. That's crazy. And I think most business owners in the back of their head, they know they know they got people out there doing that, but they don't know who they are. They don't know how to find them. Right. So our software will shine a light on those and you can coach them up or coach them out. And then it also allows you to, to, you know, find out who your top producers are and why and how do you model after them and all this other kind of goodness that we can give you on that side. Yeah. I think that's really awesome. Right. Because the, the, the pre, like what was the big uh, hurdle or, or gate to the work from home pre COVID was it, traditionally a lot of employers, like I need to see them. I need them. I need yeah. them here. I don't know what they're doing. Right. And, and there was plenty of data out there at the time for sure, which was talking about the work from home. People spend so much of their day cleaning the house or doing their laundry. Right. I remember seeing something about that at one point. So this is really, I think, really interesting, really powerful stuff that really helps because look, it's, it's not even about the dictatorship of, of being that boss, the owner manager that's in charge of productivity, right? It's like, it's going to bring real value for that insight. So you can, you can go coach the people that need to be coached or, you know, uh, you posted a great question about this online and, and it, it, it at least starts the conversations to go, Hey, we're, we're suffering in this area of productivity. Yeah. Let's dig into that. Did we make bad hires or do those employees not know what productivity looks like? You know, and then you can really start digging in and figure out what the, what's the solution because you actually know there's about a problem. it. We talk about like a check engine light. Like if the check engine light came on on your truck, right, that could be expensive transmission. Could be something small like a cable back its way out. But what do you not do? Keep driving, right? You immediately take it to the shop and like, hey, I got my check engine light on. Tell me, tell me what's up. Similarly, like ProtoScore is like a check engine light for your employees, right? It's like if Dale's productivity used to be like this and now it dropped down, go have a conversation with Dale. Could be nothing. Could be like, hey, I'm not really feeling it right now. My manager's kind of a jerk or, you know, my dad's in the hospital and I've been having to attend with him or whatever. Or it could be, you know, you're just mailing it in and need to go, you know. So but the check engine light is the way to think about it. Then the other thing we get a lot is kind of funny is people will say like, Oh, this seems a little big brother. And my question is, do you fill out an expense report? Right? No one will let you turn an expense report for $2,500 that didn't have details, right? Every one of your employees right now is essentially turning in a timesheet for eight hours with no detail. We can fill in the details. So if you want accountability in your expense reports, why wouldn't you want accountability in your timesheet, which is a much greater you know, expense. So it really is interesting. It's fun. Um, it's you know a new space for me to learn. So back to the lifelong learner bit is I kind of felt like I was an expert, if you will, on MSP. Then I was an expert, if you will, on cybersecurity. And now I get to go be an expert on employee productivity insights. So it's a new area to go to go learn and focus on. Awesome. Well, how can people connect with you, learn more? Yeah, you could find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm at David Powell Beham. Um, and Twitter, you'll get a lot of college football snark and some technology. And then LinkedIn, if you go to LinkedIn and do um, David Powell Beham up after the you know, link, LinkedIn.com slash N slash David Powell Beham, you can find me that way. 
so yeah, feel free to connect with me on any of those things. And I look forward to seeing, you know, what's ahead as everyone kind of returns to work and how that flushes out. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, we we got we could go another hour, so we're gonna get you back on, do this again. Um, but I appreciate you coming on, Thank making you. the time. I know you're busy with the new gig, so man, I, I really honor you for doing that. But but you oh, brought yeah. exactly what I was hoping for—a lot of great knowledge and all that stuff, man. So I'll get all that contact info into the show notes for those interested in the the technology and, and, and reach out to David because uh, I think that brings a lot of value. So, so thank you for that. Cool. Thanks so much, Dale. Appreciate it. Yep. All right. Talk to you soon.